This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. It's a privilege to be here this morning to worship with you and to fill in for Pastor Steve, and I'm, uh, I just feel so blessed that he was available to come and be with you in this time. He's a um, good friend, but more than that, he is a man of God and is a good pastor, a very good pastor through the years, and Lenexa Baptist Church, and those of you know the story of that church, and so I'm, I'm just blessed that he could be here, and I, I hope you will feel that too. On behalf of the Kansas City, Kansas Baptist Association, I want to say uh, greetings. We have been praying for you and praying for Adam and his family, and so 65 churches around five counties have been uh, lifting you up in prayer, and we'll continue to do that as we work our way through this process. This morning, if you will, I'd ask that you turn to your Bibles, 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll be. I just want to share a little bit with you uh, a scripture passage that touched me. Often when I preach, I feel like I'm preparing a sermon for Donnie, so I'm just going to share that with you today, and that's the way this one came about. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I want to visit with you and just try to encourage and challenge you about our spiritual fitness, our spiritual condition, each one of us as Christians. As I begin to do that, let me pray with you this morning. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to come and to be in your house. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to lift your name on high. Pray now that all I say would honor and exalt you, that people would see Jesus Christ and not Donnie, that people would see the cross through the words that we speak, Father. Be with us as we continue to worship and praise you. Again, I lift this church up, Father, and just ask you to put your arms around them. Love on them, Father. Give them all the peace and comfort that they need. Pray now as we go into this message, you be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a time in history where people have never been more aware of their physical health. For years, our physical appearance has been something to work at and to strive for and Physical conditioning has been presented to us continually. And now with the COVID, this uh, pandemic that we're in, every morning when you get up, there it is. We're to do this, to wear a mask, we're to social distance, we're to watch where we are, and on and on and on. And there are rules and kind of uh, suggestions and some mandates and all that. And so our physical health is continually in front of us. And then there's the other side of our physical health, the appearance factor. See, our society has it's become so obsessed with appearance, you know, People Magazine, Vogue, Glamour, all these magazines, the media, social media, the glamorous, the handsome, the strong, the tall, the tanned are presented in the ads and commercials. That's the ideal appearance. Six foot two, tall, lanky, tanned. This is all it's going to be for Donnie if that's the case. <laughs> I'm 5'7". I'm and the other day, the doctor in my wellness assessment told me I was 5'6". So I'm getting older. And then, uh, then he went on to share that the only thing growing, Donnie, is your waistline. You're never going to get any taller. I'm telling you, we become obsessed with our physical health and our appearance in our Western culture. And we've been educated over time that our physical condition should be one of a healthy lifestyle. And therefore, we're encouraged to get in shape and to stay in shape no matter what age you are they tell us you got to do a little exercise every day and 
that physical emphasis. You know, I've worked at all my life. I've played sports at a pretty high level. I was fortunate to play for the university for a college. And, and so I understand training and I understand staying in shape and healthiness and all those things. In fact, in that wellness assessment, the doctor said to me, I've had him for 30-some years. And he says, Donnie, you're in excellent shape and health for your age. <laughs> I asked him, when did you start adding for your age? But I just thought, couldn't you just leave it at that? Scripture has something to say about that, though. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So this body, this shell, will someday return to the earth, to the dust. This is just a residence for the Holy Spirit at this point. It's a residence in which the Holy Spirit as Christians is to work through in us and through us to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And so, yes, we do need to take care of this temple. This body needs to be in good shape. See, our physical health is important to God as our earthly body is a temporary residence for Him. But our society has made our parents a priority in our culture. Many people then get caught up in this. We, we understand what it takes to get in shape and watch your health. We understand the priority of good diet and exercise, and we understand our life is better with good health. But it doesn't mean we always do it, does it? Sometimes we become complacent. 1 Samuel 16, 7, another verse regarding this appearance and this uh, body of ours. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, now they're looking for a king at this point, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man, look... For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, our spiritual condition is more important to God. What if we took the concern and the commitment of our physical conditioning and we applied it to our spiritual condition? What if we took the emphasis every morning of getting up and seeing on the news instead of about our physical, but about our spiritual condition? See, what if we had the same priority of staying healthy in our spiritual life that we've placed on our physical life? Could it be today we Christians are distracted by the world's priorities of physical conditioning over spiritual conditioning? And we've relegated our spiritual health to a place far down the list on our priorities. So today I want to just challenge us. I want to encourage us to think about our spiritual condition and why do we need to continue to grow in our faith what could happen if we don't i think sometimes christians neglect their spiritual condition or they take for granted their faith and they don't continue to grow in their faith to the point of complacency just like in our physical life and today's passage clearly states that some people fall away when they do not stay solid in the faith Turn with me to our passage, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. And things that are taught by demons, it says. Now think about our society and our culture today. And what you hear every day on the news and by friends at work and all those things. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars 
whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created, by the way, to be created with thanksgivings by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. If it's to be received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. It says if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And that's the passage that jumped out at me when I was reading through this one night. Train yourself to be godly. He goes on, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that it deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Paul in this, let me give you the context real quick of this passage. See, Paul is writing this letter around A.D. 64, and it's probably just prior to him being imprisoned in Rome. And the letter is written to a young pastor, a pastor of a church at Ephesus, and his name was Timothy. The purpose of the letter was to give him encouragement and instruction. And so Timothy is the pastor here of this church that Paul knows well, and it's in a cosmopolitan city uh, like a Las Vegas type city, sort of city. It's a Mediterranean coast. It's what we, we would call Turkey today. And, but it was a city that was buzzing with commerce. There's lots happening here. It's a, the glitz and the glamour of a city. It's a busy city. It's rich, sensual place to be a Christian. A lot of distractions. Sound familiar? I think I could take you to about any metro city and the United States, the 40 or 50 largest cities, and we could say all those distractions and those descriptions of the church at Ephesus, where it is in this town, that we would have the same distractions, the same issues, the same problems. It's relevant to us today, and in our passage today, chapter 4 is for the leaders in the church, and it's to the Christians. And so Paul began this letter with a warning against false teachers in chapter 1. And then he gave instructions to the church about proper worship, in chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, he instructed the deacons and the overseers about their role. And now in chapter 4, he instructs Timothy and the leaders in the church about being faithful and staying grounded in their faith. See, Paul knows their context, their culture, their community. He knows what's happening in the church. He knows how some Christians are falling away and not being as red hot, if you will, salt and light that they should be. And so he's addressing that he starts with the pastor, the head, the leader. Look at verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. Paul says some will abandon the faith in later times. Well, he's quoting the Spirit here. See, what is quoted here is a prophecy of what will happen in the later times. Later times began when the resurrection of Christ occurred. So we, like them, are in the later times. This applies to us just as much as it did to them. We are in the later times. So we are listening for him to speak to us in this moment. Paul's letter, his warning, is just as relevant, I think, to us today. Now note that two opponents of the gospel are mentioned here. Deceitful spirits and demons. 
It says, you know, both of them are on Satan's side, and it seems clear that Christians can be distracted. The fact that he has thrown that in there. Let, let, um, let Timothy know that there are voices out there that are saying things that aren't, aren't correct, that aren't proper, that go, don't go with what we say, that don't match up with the gospel message. They're an imitation, a clever imitation of the real thing in some cases. And he calls them liars. He calls them hypocritical liars in verse 2. In verses 3 and 4, he points out some examples of false teachings that are being taught in Ephesus. Now, the false teachings that he gives are really kind of minor compared to some of the false teachings we see today. He mentions here that they're being taught that they're not supposed to marry, forbidding people to marry. And then he orders them, uh, some of the false teachers, orders them to abstain from certain foods. Two, to me, kind of minor teachings, but they're distracting people. They're pulling people away from the gospel message. They're pulling them away from their commitment to the church and to Christ. And so Paul points those out. I think today we have distractions well beyond. We've redefined marriage, period, not just don't marry. We've redefined it in our society, haven't we? Anything goes. With regards to what we eat, they tell us in America we're all gluttons. That we're overweight. I mean, if that's okay, that to be those two are kind of minor though compared to what we hear in our society today. But he points it out. If our situation today is even more serious than those two, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, okay, it applies even more. It's a, a warning, a caution sign, even more to us today. Paul warns us in verse 1 about what happens when people hear, believe, and accept the lies of the world. And they are right now. It says, some will abandon the faith. That's the way it's worded in the New International. The King James Version says, some will depart from the faith. Now note that this verse does not say they will fall away from their salvation. That's a different discussion. He's simply stating that if you're not grounded, you'll fall for the lies of the world, and you'll drift from your relationship with God. You become lukewarm. Church is not as important. You don't read your Bibles often. You don't even go to churches often. And you kind of fall away from your faith. First thing I want us to understand today is that we must be diligent in our faith. We cannot delegate it and relegate it to the back burner. We cannot relegate it to just Sundays only. See, our faith needs to be in front of us it's more than just for emergency situations. We must be on the lookout for false, unbiblical teachings and priorities. And the only way to do that is to continually be working at knowing God intimately. I'm always amazed to think that God wants an intimate relationship with me. Little old Donnie, a sinner. Not worthy of the salvation and the death of Jesus Christ, but that's what he did. And then after that, he said, but I want you all to be my children. And I want you to have an intimate relationship, a love relationship with me. And the first point I want you to understand today as we look at this passage is that our spiritual discipline and our spiritual condition requires intentionality. We have to be intentional about growing in our faith. We must be actively growing in our faith. That requires actions from us. We must prioritize and be intentional about reading our Bible, studying our Bible with purpose, worshiping God corporately and personally, 
finding a place to serve God, giving back to God, and sharing with others. How else will we distinguish the truth from the lies of the world if we don't know the truth? Today, the most committed church-going Christian, just to give you some facts and statistics as I think about this, today the most committed church-going Christian misses church at least once a month. Ball games, family functions, vacations, travel for work, illnesses all take up some of our Sunday mornings. And the sad fact is that church attendance is the only way most Christians expect to grow in their faith. When I was on staff at Emmanuel Baptist Church, I had a Sunday school teacher that had been there for quite a while, and I'm trying to raise the expectations and what we expect of teachers and attendance and being there on a regular basis, obviously, to me, would be one of them. He had five weeks of vacation in the business world. So in the business world, and Jason, I appreciate this, in the business world, you get the weekend before the vacation starts, you get the weekend after. So five times two, he's gone about 10 weeks just right there on Sunday morning. Then he had season tickets to the Chiefs. I love the Chiefs. But they have about eight home games. So now I'm up to 18 times he's gone during the year, not counting any illnesses or anything else. So I'm raising the expectations. And I have a covenant for what I expect out of my teachers. And I said, Wayne, we've got to let you go, or we're going to have to find a co-teacher that you can mentor and let them eventually take over the class. Because you're gone too often. Well, I've taught this class for you. I need commitment. But see, that's how we allow sometimes our own personal agenda and priorities to get in the way of what God's called us to do and to be. It was hard to have that discussion. He loved teaching. He's a good teacher. But there's a commitment that's expected of us from what I study the Scripture. See, if coming to a worship service is your plan for discipleship, it is a weak plan. In a 30-minute sermon, and Steve, myself, 60-some pastors preaching this morning in our association, preaching in our own style and personality and trying to communicate the gospel message, but in 30 minutes, I can't disciple you. It takes more than that. Actually, my Sunday school class is a better place because I can come alongside of you as an individual, and we can socialize, and I can take you with me on hospital visits, and I can show you what it is to be with a church and grieve with them and how to pray for people, and I can walk with you. That's a discipleship process. Whereas coming into the service and don't quit coming, Steve won't appreciate that. But I want you to understand, if this is the only way you plan on being discipled, it is a weak plan. I'm putting information out. Now you have to do something with it. There's no pushback. There's no discussion. There's what about this? How do I handle that? In fact, let me give you this way of thinking about it. If this is your way of discipling, perhaps it's like um, standing in your garage and hoping you turn into a car. You know, it's not going to happen. Church, hear this. I read this um, out of the Pew Religious Knowledge Survey. Atheists and agnostics scored 15% higher on their knowledge about religion than evangelical Christians. See, what I just said is that people with no relationship with our Heavenly Father have more knowledge of religion than Christ's followers. That should smack us upside the head. You know, when COVID hit and they put us under house arrest, that's what I call it, 
All of a sudden, I'm like, all my evening meetings were canceled. Most of my appointments during the day, I can't go face-to-face, which is my style. And so now I'm like, okay, I got plenty of time on my hands. There's only so administrative work you can do and so many sermons to prepare in advance. I mean, there's only so much you can do in that setting, and I'm going to have more time to read, which I enjoy reading. It's, it's just it's comforting. It's a pleasure for me to sit down and get in, get in a novel or some book and just read and read and read two or three hours. But then it struck me. See, I, I called Amazon, I got online, I mean, and, and, and ordered four books from Amazon. Two and a half weeks later, I was com- done with those four books, and I'm, now what? In the middle of, we're still under house arrest. And that's when it kind of struck me. Donnie, think what you just did. You get up in the morning and you have 30-minute devotion, reading a psalm and a proverb and then some New Testament passage. You prepare to teach, and you're in the Bible teaching, and then you prepare to preach, and you're in the Bible preaching, and, and you love all of that, and, you're, and this is Donnie talking, as honest as I can be. It hit me. Why don't I pick the Bible up and read for hours on end? For pleasure. And read the stories and read about the miracles. Why don't I do with the same intensity that I do novels about the Holocaust and different things? Talk about a smack upside the head. I don't know about you, but every home in America, they tell us, has about 11 Bibles sitting around. So it's not like I don't have scriptures. Boy, I'm telling you, sometimes when I'm preaching, God's preaching to Donnie. And that was an instance where he got my attention. Here are two more stats for us. 57% of regular churchgoers say they have never had a religious experience that changed their life. Had a deacon, they told me to go out and replant this church. I have eight people when I get there, and it's a little rural community. And we went from eight to 48 in that first year, which was amazing, because when I got there, I found out of the eight that they gave me, six of them, one's in a wheelchair, one's on crutches, the other four are not very mobile. I had one couple that could go knock on doors, put on block parties and VBS and all the things that we need to do, get out in the community. I thought, boy, Lord, but he blessed us, and we went up to 48. But the deacon in that church, so I've been a deacon for 30, 40 years. And I thought, well, that's good to know. He's the only deacon in that little church, eight people. And so I asked him one day, because he was teaching Sunday school, and they asked me if I had any thoughts or comments. And I always like to ask people when I'm teaching, tell me where you saw God at work in your life. And I've learned to add this week. Here's why I learned that. Because with this deacon, two or three times, hey, tell me where you saw God at work in your life. Well, and this is him. I was on a tractor about 16 years old. He's 74 at the time. 16 years old, on a tractor, and God spoke to me. I'm really? Next time I ask it, two or three weeks later, I mean, and he answered the same answer. So I began, I learned in that experience, Dad, this week. See, you and I should see God at work in our life every week, every day. Every moment we should be seeing what God has allowed me to take another breath, if nothing else. And so it's just gotten to me that sometimes we think we're walking with God when really He's way ahead of us and we're lagging behind. Almost one-third of evangelicals attend church simply out of obligation. Well, we want to raise the kids in the church, we better go. Something like that. Discipleship has to be intentional in order to grow your faith and improve your spiritual condition. Paul is saying, get serious about our walk with God. 
And he tells Timothy, you need to know the truth so that you can point out the lies and the false teachings. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. See, our environment, even a spiritually nurturing one, won't change us. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit working through us and in us to change us. And if you're not present and in His presence with Him, how can that happen? Intentional living. I looked that that up because that's what we're talking about. Intentional living. I thought, well, I'm going to see if it's defined. And, you know, you can Google anything nowadays. Any lifestyle based on an individual's conscious attempts to live according to their values and beliefs. Christians, we need to be intentional in living out our values and our beliefs. And the way to do that is to stay in the Word so that you know and affirmed your values and your beliefs. In the business world, I do some consulting work through the years, uh, leadership things, and, and I just learned values drive behavior. Christians, you know why we're not growing the church in North America? It's the only continent that the Christian faith is not growing, North America. All the other continents, it's, it's growing. I think right there's the answer. We're not living out our values. We're not living close to Christ like we should be. 72%. 72% of the unchurched believe the church is filled with hypocrites. That's the impression the world has of us. They drive by here today and have no idea what we're doing here and could care less. 73% of Johnson County is unchurched. They have no faith, no church. That's the culture we live in. See, we're not living out our Christian faith, our values and our beliefs, and it's not being reflected out into the culture. In fact, my expression is the culture has changed the church more than the church has changed the culture. And that's not the way it was intended to be. We're not being the salt, the light that we were called to be. Could it be we're not walking in our faith daily? That we're not growing closer to God each day? See, we must be intentional about our discipleship. Second point I want to give you out of this passage. Spiritual discipline and our spiritual condition require a plan. If we're going to be intentional, we need to plan. Verse 7. Paul lays out a course of action for Timothy here. He kind of outlines what he should do. He says, have nothing to do, two points, have nothing to do with godless myths and wives' tales. So forget about what you're hearing in the media and in the world and in the, uh, we'll call it fake news, whatever. But forget that, rather train yourself to be godly. Two steps. Paul, by his instruction, calls into account where Timothy spends his time. Don't waste time on activities that do not draw you closer to Christ. Don't listen to the lies. Don't listen to the false prophets out there, the voices of the world. There are many of them, but you should have nothing to do with them, Timothy. And he's speaking to us as well today. Paul's challenging Timothy in verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Timothy, it's time to step up. Godliness won't just happen. The plan is train yourself to be godly. Had the opportunity to compete on my college university's uh, rodeo team. 300 rodeo teams in colleges and universities across the United States. And got the opportunity to compete on the team. And we would train two to three days a week. And we had the we had nutritionists and weight people and trainers and all that available to us and train during the week and go to classes and all those things and scholarships and all that, just like football players and everything. But, 
My point is, I know what it means to train and to be in training and to watch what I eat and the exercise I have to do and how I need to practice and visualize and positive thinking, all those things that you practice to accomplish something in the physical realm. And we went to the national finals. Just a great opportunity. We were leading the nation when we got there. 300 and some teams, we're leading the nation. We get to Bozeman, Montana. I'm telling you, we know how to train. Donnie knows what he means when it says train. Do I apply that same discipline to my spiritual condition? That's the question. Do I apply that discipline of every day preparing for the competition? Reading the Bible daily, studying the Bible, praying over the Scriptures, asking God to speak to you through His Word each day. Train yourself to be godly. 15% of Americans believe studying theology, that's for pastors. Most Americans believe that's pastors. That's what they're supposed to do. 54% of Americans say theological beliefs are not a matter of objective truth. In other words, it's not black or white, but rather belongs in the category of subjective personal opinion. 54% believe just whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, it's a good book to read. Got some good thoughts. I don't agree with it. That's their mentality. And Americans are divided on what the Bible is and what authority it has over the lives. In fact... In the 2020 State of Theology study, it also found that 34% believe modern science disproves this book. 34% of America says, yeah, that's not true based on science. That's not true. That's what you're dealing with when you go to work tomorrow. That's the culture we live in. That's the context of where you're to be a missionary. So there will be godless myths and wives' tales out here in our culture. Since most Americans just treat the Bible knowledge like, choose your own adventure book. Believe what you want. We'll be confronted in our daily lives by the very things Paul is addressing here with Timothy. So we must be intentional in our personal discipleship. We must have a plan for our personal discipleship. I saw a statistic that the average churchgoer does not open their Bible from one Sunday to the next. It tells us there's no intentionality. There's no plan. I wonder today... <laughs> You know, they don't get to play today, but I wonder about the Chiefs. How would the Chiefs do without ever reading the playbook, not memorizing the plays, not knowing the plays? Or how would they do without ever learning the plays and never practicing, in fact, just showing up for the game? How would they do? Hmm. Between early 2019 and June of this year, 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible dropped from 14% to 8.5%. Those that read their Bible daily from early 2019 through June of 2020 this year, those that read their Bible daily dropped. Now think about that. In the midst of a national pandemic, protests and riots in our streets, race relations at a low point, tension and conflict rising globally between nations, and Christian values under attack, Bible usage is going down. If we're not turning to this book for the answers, where are we turning as a society? Since we are a more mature group today, and I'm one of those now, gray hairs and no hairs, I call us. I, I can remember going to denominational meetings, and I thought, what are we going to do when the gray hair and no hairs are all gone? And now I'm one of them. So I understand, we get older. But here's a stat that kind of blew me away. 
Adults age 74 and up are the least likely age group to read their Bible multiple times each week, with only 10% that do that. Wow. I'm thinking I'm getting closer to heaven. (laughs) I might want to keep reading the manual each year. Paul says in the passage that Stephen read for us earlier, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Remember in that passage what he was saying? If you're going to run, run as if to win. Then at the end of it he says, therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave to that after I have preached others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is saying, if you're going to enter this race, if you're going to put your toe on the line to run a race, he wants you to run it as hard as you can and run as if you're going to win and do the best you can. You may not win, but do the best you can. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, do it with purpose and with discipline. Put in the hard work and preparation. Train to be godly because our spiritual condition is for all eternity and it's more important than any physical condition that we will achieve. Physical conditioning will not last. All the spiritual conditioning builds up rewards and blessings for me in heaven. I just want to get in. I'm good. I've got that one covered. And when I get there, I want at least a closet, you know, but boy, it'd be nice to have a mansion. I just want to get in and see God and see all the truths of the Scriptures lived out for me. And I won't have time to ask Him questions I've had here because they won't be relevant. They aren't important. But this physical body's going to die. And it's going to be gone. And so someday, the spiritual conditioning that we did here in this moment while here is going to impact not just how we live or the people around us today, but it impacts when we get to heaven as well. Many Christians get caught up in this religious activities of the church and they think that's good. That's the best they can do. And they don't train for the purpose of godliness. God wants us to have a passionate spirituality an intimacy with Him, not a mere show of religion. And the secret of intimacy with God requires discipline. Stephen Covey, he's Mormon, but he does a lot of leadership books. And he talks about communication. He says communication is the lifeblood to a relationship. And that trust is the immune system. I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ. So there's the immune system. But the communication part, that's a two-way street. He wants to communicate with me. But I need to be communicating with him. That's the lifeblood to the relationship. That's what I'd say about your prayer life and your Bible reading. Through the years I've learned this expression, prior planning prevents poor performance. So I'm wondering today, what is your plan? Be intentional. Have a plan for your discipleship, for your spiritual conditioning. Third point, and I want to get it quickly so that we can beat the Methodists to the restaurant. Spiritual discipline and our spiritual condition are to be our priority. I hope you've seen that. In verses 6 and 7, Paul, he's instructing Timothy to keep pointing out, telling, teaching these things. What things? He's saying that there are false teachers and false teachings out there. Keep pointing it out. Don't let up. I think we need to be able to do that as well. Not just the pastors, not just the staff. Each of us need to know for our own benefit, but for our family's benefit and for those we're trying to raise and trying to influence and those that we work with. We need to be able to call it out and say, that's not true. Paul lists the benefits of one that does that. This spiritual condition 
of having that as your priority, he tells Timothy there's three things that will happen if you remain faithful to proclaim the truth. Number one, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Well done. It's what we want to hear when we get to heaven. That's one of the benefits of spiritual conditioning. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. The second is you will be constantly nourished on the words. You need hope for tomorrow. You need peace. You need comfort. You need an answer. You need wisdom. You will be constantly nourished on the words. Number three, you'll be constantly nourished on sound doctrine. You know, I could have sat at home today and watched a number of pastors, teachers on TV. And I've done that before. I've watched them. There's some false doctrine on that TV. Just because they got money to buy ad time and space on TV doesn't mean it's a true message. But people sitting at home and sometimes Christians aren't aware of that. Spiritual growth and discipline take time and energy, but it's well worth the effort. See, God will bless you for your obedience and He'll be faithful to you as you are discipled. Verse 8. Paul addresses the importance of physical discipline when he states, it is of some value. I thought that was interesting. This physical that we're so infatuated with, there is some value to that. But godliness, he says, is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul's not saying that we shouldn't exercise a body, not at all. In fact, the scripture addresses that, and we touched on it earlier. But he is saying that what's more important is the spiritual exercise for godliness. Godliness is important in this life as well as the life after this. Our godliness impacts our daily lives and determines our rewards in heaven. I wonder, are you in shape both physically and spiritually? In our society, much emphasis is placed on that physical, but what about your spiritual? Our physical health is susceptible to disease and injury we're seeing now, even with the COVID. But our, but our faith, it sustains us through any tragedy. That's what gets us through it. To train ourselves to be godly, we must develop our faith and by using our God-given abilities in the service of the church. And I'm asking today, are you developing your spiritual muscles? Paul's encouraging us to strive for intimacy with God. As you walk out from this place today, I hope you'll draw closer to Him. And as you go home, I hope you'll develop in your mind a plan and a process through which you will get into the Word. Let's close with verses 9 and 10. He says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and we strive that we have put our hope in the living God, who's the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. See, Paul says... It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. You can count on this, he's saying to Timothy. Take heart. What he's been talking about, of course, is the pursuit of godliness is of great importance. It's profitable for all things. Don't neglect it. We labor and we strive for godliness and we place our hope and we have fixed uh, our, our priority on God. That's what he's looking for. To serve Him, to please Him should be our motivation. It's our goal. It's to be our focus. Not that we earn our salvation or, uh, or His favor, any of that. Don't hear me say that. Salvation is a, a gift from God, which we receive through our faith. And then there's these other big church words, sanctification and justification, where we, we are growing in our faith. But we can't earn our salvation. We can't work our salvation. It's through God's grace and His mercy and 
What we're supposed to do is then is to strive to labor and please Him and be obedient and faithful to Him. Let me just ask you this today. How distant are you from God right now? How distant from God are you right now if we were to evaluate your spiritual conditioning plan? I wonder, has your closeness to Him chilled just a little? It's always fun in church work to watch a new person accept Christ. That first two years, they tell anybody and everybody about their relationship to God. New Christians win more people to Christ than Christians have been Christians for 50, 60 years because they're fired up. They're on fire about it. Maybe that's where you were when you first came to Christ. Where are you today? Where's the zeal, the fire that we had when we first accepted that message? Let me ask you today, what is your spiritual condition and what is your plan for growing in your faith? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to come into your house to worship you. And I thank you again that we can open your word and you can speak to us. And your message is every bit as relevant today as it ever was, Father. And so thank you that your words touch our hearts and move us to action. I pray that the Spirit will touch each person here today as we go from this place. We'll be drawn closer to you. And then in this week, we'll open our Bibles more frequently that we'll begin to study and not just read and we'll begin to learn and not just see words on a page. That we'll find a place of service, Father. That we'll open our hearts to you and our eyes to those around us that need the word, need the gospel. So, Father, this morning, just encourage us, challenge us as we go from this place to be all you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.